father, of being a father of others, yet he didn't have any biological children himself. And so we, but we see in Paul one who gave of himself to the next generations, one who invested of himself, of gave everything of who he is, and he did that with his spiritual son Timothy. So I believe that there are principles that I'm going to be able to share and talk about um, this morning, and actually for the next several weeks, that are going to help those of you who are parents, who are grandparents, but I promise you it is not limited to that at all, because God has called us to influence those around us, and to have spiritual sons and daughters, and that's not based upon age. Okay, that's not based upon age, that's just, that's influence. And so the Lord is calling us, so this is what I did in my preparation this week. I went through, and I, and I, I went through and I read and just went through all of First and Second Timothy, which were letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, and what I did was I just, and, and computers make this nice, but I just cut and pasted every um, exact instruction, like command, but like uh, what Paul was telling Timothy to do. So I listed them all out. And I had several pages of this, and so I just began to look at this, and I began to look at patterns, and look for themes. And it was really amazing, because out of, out of what Paul shared with Timothy, there were four themes that I see that emerged, and, and that became uh, what Paul was sharing with Timothy. And so, um, I had, Heather uh, had stopped in my office this week, and we were talking, I showed her what I was doing, and I, I showed her the four points for today, and the twenty. 3,000 verses I was going to use. And she said, Jay, you're crazy. Like, that's too much information. She goes, that is a great four-week series. And I said, you're right, babe. As always, you are right. And so we're going to do a four-week series. I'm going to do the first theme today on staying faithful. Staying faithful. And, and so there's four themes that, that Paul really invests in Timothy's life and talks to him. Let me talk just a little bit about their relationship. Uh, Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4.15, I love the message translation. Uh, you may be familiar with this passage that is, yeah, there, it, where Paul goes, there's many teachers. You have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. Okay, that's that passage. And he goes, there are a lot of people who... Ran, there are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. Okay, can, did anybody ever feel like that's true, right? Paul, there's a lot of people that'll tell you what you're not doing right. He says, but there aren't many fathers. And I'll just say there aren't many mothers, there aren't many people who are willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. And that's who Paul was in Timothy's life. That is who God is calling us to be in the life of others. Philippians 2.2, Paul said that you are a son in the gospel and you've worked right alongside me. And we see that uh, it, it was, uh, they were in the business of the Lord. And they were sharing the gospel with others. 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. Uh, Paul calls Timothy a true son in the faith. A true son in the faith. Uh, we see, uh, I don't have this on the overhead, but I'm going to read it real quick. We see in Acts 16, uh, we see uh, some of the story of, of Paul and Timothy. We know that, that Timothy uh, was from Lystra. And, and when, it, it seems like history tells us that as Paul was coming through, that Timothy had given his life to the Lord. And then Paul came through a couple years later. And Timothy had been discipled in such a way that when Paul came through a couple years later, he saw him and he saw something in him that, that he wanted to invest in. And so he invites him to be on his ministry team. Uh, Acts 16, he goes, he came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, a Jewess, <clears throat> excuse me, and a believer 
but whose father was a Greek. And so what an interesting um, passage. Uh, we'll see it again in, 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 in Timothy in a couple, just a few moments. Uh, what an interesting fact that, that Timothy didn't have a believing father. Uh, he wasn't set up for spiritual success on the, on the dad's side. On the dad's side. But yet, and it was noticeable. Like, it, it was saying to count. But yet, God used Timothy in such an amazing way. I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your dad was like. I don't know what your grandfathers were I, I don't know. But I know that God can still work in your life. He can still do great things in your life. I don't know what mistakes that you've made with your kids and with your grandkids. But I'm telling you that God's bigger than our mistakes. Anybody thankful for that? He's greater. He's, 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 he makes up the difference. That he can still work in our kids and our grandkids' life. So his, his mom was a Jewish, a believer. Uh, his dad was a Greek. The, brother, the brothers at Lystrum and Iconium spoke well of him. So Timothy had a good reputation. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. That's another sermon. Uh, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy was willing to do whatever. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for people to obey. And so the churches and the people grew daily. And so we see here that that's where, that's where Paul and Timothy begin to work together. Second Timothy was written. So Paul was in, we believe from history that Paul was in prison in Rome a couple of times. Uh, that he, he was in Rome and then he got out. And then uh, that's where we see... Um, of some of the, the later parts of, of his ministry, uh, the evidences of it, even though it's not recorded in Acts. And then um, history would tell us that he went back to Rome, and that's where, that's where he was executed. And it was in the second imprisonment in Rome where he wrote this second letter to Timothy. And, and the end of it is a little bit different than the, than the first one, and, it's, uh, and it's, it's very interesting. I would encourage you over the next four, week to be, four weeks to be reading both books, First and Second Timothy. But Second Timothy 1 and Two and then verses five and seven it says this to Timothy, my dear son. So you just see these in terms of endearment, this love, this love that he has for Timothy. They've been together for years. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That he's speaking those things into his life. Oh, that we would be those that would speak grace and mercy and peace from our Father God to those that are around us. He speaks those into his life. He goes, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did. So we see this, this um, lineage this of, of belief in God, of faith in God, from the Jewish side of Paul's family, of, of, of spiritual heritage being passed on from generation to generation to generation. And I'm telling you, that's my prayer and my hope for my family is that what has been handed off to us, that then we can hand off to the next generation. That can hand it off to the next generation. Because what really matters, what legacy is really about, is not about what I'm able to do, but about what those that come after me are able to do. That's what really matters. And so what it is is this passing on. And, and so with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, <clears throat> recalling your tears. How many know tears only happen in intimate relationships? Tears happen when there's closeness. And so they were so, they were so close that there were tears. He goes, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And so here, once again, we just see this theme of faith being passed on from generation to generation. 
It's so, 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 so important for that to happen. And so as we talk about this morning, the first theme that I'm going to talk about is staying faithful. But through the, both books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the letters from Paul to Timothy, there are four themes. The first theme is stay faithful. And so I'm going to use a metaphor this morning as we talk about staying faithful. I'm going to use the, the metaphor of baseball. And so we're going to talk about some baseball this morning. Can I get an amen from some dads out there? Yeah, we're going to talk about baseball this morning. So as we talk about uh, being faithful, even though baseball wasn't invented when Paul uh, wrote Timothy, I think you'll see that, I mean, he had baseball in mind. He was a Cardinals fan. What can I say? That's right. I mean, there's lots of Cardinals in Rome, aren't there? There are. It's true. Yeah. So, yeah. I just came up with that right now, so I'm glad you laughed. That was risky. That was risky. So... The first one, so stay faithful. The very first point under staying faithful is to stay in the game. Stay in the game. Have you ever had a coach tell you that? <clears throat> just stay in the game. Like, just, just stay present. Just, just be there. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stay in the game. First Timothy 1.3, this is what he starts off with. He goes, I urged you when I went into Macedonia... So he had gone to visit Macedonia, uh, back in Macedonia, which is where Philippi was. Which, and so he comes back when he was there, and he goes, stay there in Ephesus. He goes, I urge you, stay there in Ephesus. Remain still. Abide. Stay in Ephesus. Why? So you can command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Uh, he was helping them um, get over some false teaching, to, of some correct teaching. But he tells them there to stay there to stay there i think in our culture i think in our life i think that there is just this constant gravity that causes us to want to give in or cause us to want to give up that through difficulty in life difficulty in relationships difficulty in families difficulty in finances just things that happen causes us at times to just want to give up dads i know there can be times where you just want to give up and we can learn from Paul to Timothy right here, don't give up. Stay faithful. Stay in the game. There can be lots of things that, maybe there's issues in your marriage, and you want to give up. I'm telling you, don't give up. Stay in the game. There, maybe there's issues in, in parenting. Your kids are making decisions that are, you know are just going to bring destruction in your life, in their life. Stay in the game. Stay faithful. No matter what anybody else does, you stay faithful. Stay in the game. Jobs can get difficult. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stay faithful. Friendships. You, there can be trying in friendships. There can be difficulties. Be a faithful friend. Stay engaged. Stay in the game. Maybe the ministry that you're, that you're doing or wanting to do, maybe it's getting difficult. Maybe you're, you've been hosting fusion groups, you've been leading fusion groups, you've been serving in children's ministry, and you can grow. Uh, Paul said it's possible to grow weary in doing well. But he goes, don't do that. Stay faithful. And if you stay faithful, you will produce fruit. In the right season, it's going to happen. And so stay, stay faithful. I don't have to share the statistics this morning. They're obvious. A, a five-second Google search will sh instantly show the data of the difference that dads that are present in the life of their kids make. And that's not to guilt trip anybody. That's not to say anything other than dads, granddads, stay faithful. Stay 
faithful. Stay involved. Even if you're not doing it right, and none of us are. Or none of us are doing it all right. Stay faithful. Be there. You know, the, the older I get, I know I sound like an old man, don't I? The older I get, I once was young, but now I'm old. That's what David said. No, but the older I get, like, I just so appreciate faithful people. You know what I mean? Like, you know some older people that they're not flashy, they're not nothing, but they've been faithful, right? They've been faithful to their families. They've been faithful to God. They've just been faithful. And, after, and faithfulness after decades, decades and decades, it pays off. It doesn't always seem like the time, but you can look back and you can see the faithfulness of people. And it's so encouraging. 2 Timothy 2.1, he, he says, So my son, throw yourself into this work for Christ. He's saying stay in the game. Uh, it, that, 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 that throw yourself into. In the Greek, what, what it means is be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. So in the grace of God, not in your own works, not in your own ability, but in the grace that's available through Jesus and what He has done, stay strong, throw yourself, be all in in the work that God has called you to do, of calling you to be a a husband, a wife, be all in. Be all in, be strong, throw yourself into that. Throw yourself into parenting, throw yourself into ministry, throw yourself into what God has called you to do. Um, just get all the way in. All the chips are in the game. Don't hold anything back. Go all in on what God has called you to be and what He has called you to do. Throw yourself into it. Stay in the game. I remember when I used to play baseball, our, our coach would say, you know, the game of baseball is 90% mental and 10% physical. That's, that's what he would say. Uh, for me, I don't think that was exactly the right um, ratio, but, uh, but that's, that's what our coach was. He'd say, keep your head in the game. And that's what we need to do. That's what Paul said. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the game. 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 13 and 14. He just continues to tell Timothy to be faithful, to stay in the game. He says, stay at your post. Stay faithful. I would say that to you. Whatever God's calling you to do and to be, just stay at your post. Stay at your post of father. Stay at your post of mother. Stay at your post of whatever ministry God is, is, is using you in or you believe He wants you to use. Just stay at your post. And what are we to do? And I believe, yes, this is a pastoral setting that Paul has given Timothy, but I do not believe for a second that that's limited to this. I believe there's complete application to every area of our life of giving ourselves to others. So he's saying stay faithful, stay in the game, stay at your post, reading Scripture. That we would read Scripture with those that are around us. That the Word of God would be brought into relationships, brought into our families. There would be a public reading of Scripture. That there would be giving of counsel. And I'm using a lot of the message translation today. So if you're looking at your Bibles, and I think we have the message up here. Um, but you could be, if it's not exactly the same, that's why. I just really felt like the message just really brought some of these just in a fresh way. And so uh, your translation may say exhortation. But of giving of counsel, of just sharing godly wisdom with those that are around you. This is what he's saying. Stay faithful. Continue to read the passage. Continue to, to give counsel, to exhort, to teach. To teach those that, that are around you. And I think so often we think of teaching. We think of this right here. We think of a platform. We think of a whiteboard. We think of, a, of, a, of you know, those type PowerPoint presentations. 
I mean, they didn't have PowerPoint presentations in the Bible, right? It's not just public teaching, even though that was the immediate interpretation, the application for us today is that God wants you to teach those that are in your life. How does that happen? Well, it's just showing them something that you know. I mean, it's real simple. It's like, it's like when your kids can't get the pickle jar open, right? But you've been getting pickle jars open for years. You know how to do it. You know that if you take your shirt, and you take the top of your shirt, that it gives you extra torque and leverage on that pickle jar. And if you hold your mouth just right, and if you go like this, I mean, there's not hardly any pickle jar you can't get open, right? But if you don't know that trick, you won't be able to get pickle jars open. That's what teaching is. Teaching isn't necessarily standing from a pulpit. It's teaching kids how to open pickle jars. It's teaching kids how to navigate life. It's teaching those around us what we've experienced. Because we've broken some pickle jars, right? Trying to open them. And we don't want them to break pickle jars in their life and smell like a pickle, right? So we can help them. It's the same. It's the, we're just helping people navigate life. That's teaching. Just teaching them what God's taught us. And then he says, and that special gift of ministry that you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. Uh, another translation, the Greek would actually would be that when they prophesied over you. Keep that dusted off and in use. And so when they left Timothy in Ephesus to lead that church, they prayed over him, they prophesied over him, and there was a spiritual gift. We don't know exactly what it was, but there was some spiritual gift that was imparted to him that he was, Paul's saying, use that. That is particular to you. That is something that unique about you that God wants to use for people in your life. And I would say that's true about every single one of us, that God has given you unique giftings that the church needs, that your family needs, that our community needs, that the world needs, that those that don't know Jesus yet need. They need what God has placed in you. And so don't neglect the uniqueness of you, of who God has made you to be, and of what He has invested in your life. Use that. Keep that dusted off, that grace gift that He's given you. So be faithful. Be faithful. So first part is just stay in the game. The second thing is keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye in it. Isn't that what our coaches tell us when we get up to hit, right? Keep your eye on the ball. Don't get distracted. Don't look around. Keep your head in the game and keep your eye on the ball. Anybody ever heard, heard those phrases? Yeah. That's what Paul was using here. Yeah, keep your eye on the ball. That's, that's, that's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 15, 16. He says, cultivate these things. What things is he talking about? He's talking about these things that we just talked about in verses 13 and 14 of doing those things, cultivate these things, water these things, like you cultivate a garden in your life, develop these things in your life. Keep your eye on the ball. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in them. And then the people all will see you mature right before their eyes. That the transformation that God is doing in your life. And so how many of you know if you're gonna, if you're gonna mature, right, as it says here, as you're, as, as you're gonna mature right before people's eyes, what does that mean? Well, that means there are parts of Timothy's life that were immature. It means there are parts of my life that are immature that are not fully developed. And so what he's saying is, as God develops you, as God matures you, others around will see what God is doing in your life, which means you have to be living in proximity to other people, involved in other people's lives, so they can see what God's doing in your life, so it gives them hope, right, that God will do something in their life, because if God can do something with that guy, surely, surely he can do something in my life. 
And so that's the example that we got to keep our eye on the ball. He says here, keep a firm grasp. Like holding on to that bat. Hang on. Keep a firm grasp on what? On both your character and your teaching. Your character, what you do. Your teaching, what you say. He's like, pay attention. Keep your eye on the ball in regard to what you're doing and what you're saying. Because it makes a difference in the life of others. Don't be diverted, he says in the message. Don't be diverted. Keep your eye on the ball. Just keep at it. He says, just keep swinging, right? Just keep swinging. Just keep, just stay in the batter's box. Just stay at the plate. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep swinging. Keep your eye on the ball, right? And in due season, you'll reap a great harvest, he says. He says, just stay faithful. Keep at it. Both you and those you hear will experience salvation. He's saying that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk into, you're going to be delivered into this eternal life. Not only you, but those that are following you. It's going to have this, this ramification all around. Here's another time he tells him to keep his eye on the ball. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 5. He says this, he goes, he goes, Timothy, don't be naive, okay? He's like, heads up. Don't think for a minute that there won't be difficult times ahead, because there will be. And when difficult times comes, he says, keep your eye on the ball. Stay in the game. Stay focused, he says, because difficult times are ahead. He says, as the, and as the end approaches, I mean, and friends, the end is approaching, right? Like things are, this world's crazy, right? The Bible says the, as we move into end times, it's going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. <clears throat> and so as the end approaches, and just see, I'm going to read these 19 characteristics of how people are going to be in the end times, and just see, okay? Just see if, if this sounds like familiar at all, okay? People are going to be selfish, self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents. It means disobedience, dishonoring of parents. Crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, dog, looking out for self. Unbending, which means unforgiving. Slanderer, saying things about other people that are not true. Impulsively wild, which means giving over to lust. Savage, just brutal, just ruthless. Cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. <laughs> Addicted to lust, allergic to God. That means that self is in the place of worship at center of the life, not God. Okay, did you guys just feel like you read USA Today or your Facebook feed or, you know, like, like would you say that there's anything like that in our, in our world today? Yeah, and he's saying, and it goes, what's even worse is Paul says, they'll make a show of religion. Like the things of God, it's just all going to be outside. It's going to be a show. It's going to be pretense. It's going to be image. There's not going to be anything really, really, really there because behind the scenes are animals. Things may look good on the surface. People may look real religious, but underneath, they're not living that life. They're hypocrites. And Paul says to me, stay away from these hypocrites. Stay away from people like that. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't let people like that divert you. And isn't it true that, that sometimes we've let people who have not lived right or done things, that things that people have done things to us, we've let what they've done to us get, us, get our eye off the ball. Of what God has called us to do. What God has called us to be. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep your eye on the ball. And finally, 2 Timothy 4 and 5. He says, but you, keep your eye on what you're doing. See, there it is right there. 
Keep your eye on the ball. See? It's there. Keep your eye on what you're doing. Keep your eye on the ball. Accept the hard times along with the good. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Many translations say, do the work of an evangelist. Keep the gospel message going out to those around you. Do a thorough job as God's servant. God's servant in your home. God's servant in our church. God's servant in our community. Do it thoroughly. Do it 100%. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on what you're doing. And so we want to stay in the game and we want to keep our eye on the ball. We want to be faithful. Paul's calling us here to be faithful. I remember when I was a, a, a sophomore in high school, I'll switch to a, a basketball metaphor just real quick. I remember I was, I was on the JV team and we had, we had tryouts for, for the varsity. And, you know, if you don't make varsity, you're JV. And, and so I, yeah, I made the JV team no problem. But, but I wanted to play varsity. And there, was, it was, it was, there were 12 uh, juniors and seniors that, they, that had made the varsity team. And typically our school had 15 players. That way we had, you know, three, three rounds of guys. And, uh, and, and so there were three spots left. And the coach basically, he just said, you know, I'm just going to give out these 12, um, these 12 uniforms. This is going to be our team. 12 is going to be enough for this season. And it was a really good team. Like it went further than the, than in playoffs at the end of the year, than a team had gone in, in decades, and it was a, it was the best team that the school had had, and so I mean the competition was tough. It was tough, and uh, he goes, he goes, you guys are all JV. He goes, if anybody wants to stick around and just help with whatever, you're welcome to. Just but but you're not on the team. You're on the JV team, and so myself and one other guy named Jeff, who's now athletic director at the university. Uh, were uh, in my hometown. We just hung out. Like we did the laundry for the team. We cared for the for the jerseys. We kept books. We just did what we served. We worked out with them every day. We worked out with varsity. We worked out with junior varsity. And we just was we. I was learning from these. I just I just felt like I was supposed to stay faithful. Just stay there. And after about the second game, the coach came to us and we both got jerseys. We both got to play varsity ball. Because we were better than the other JVers? No. We just didn't give up. We just stayed in the game. And there's something in life about just not giving up. Even if you're not the best, even if you're not the fastest, even if you don't have the highest percentage, just stay faithful. And it's amazing what happens when you just stay faithful. You just stay faithful. And so we want to stay faithful. We want to stay in the game. We want to keep our eye on the ball. And finally, we want to stick with the basics. Stick with the basics. And it doesn't, what, it doesn't matter what level of athletics you're looking at or playing at, they always cover the basics. Major League base, Baseball players still work on catching, throwing, hitting, running bases. They still practice those things. They still work on those things because the basics matter. The basics, the fundamentals are what gives what is what allows everything else to really make it in life. And so stick with the basics. First Timothy 4.12 says, Teach believers, teach those around you with your life. How do you do this? You do it by the words you speak. You do it by your demeanor, by the way you live, by love, by faith, by integrity, of being who you say you are, of doing what you say you'll do, of being the same at home and at other places. 
that that's how we live. That's, that's the basics. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's not rocket science. It's the basics. It's what Jesus has called us to do. He says, stick with that, Timothy. And then I want to I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 10-17. This will be our last passage for this morning. 2 Timothy 3, 10-17. I'm going to walk us through it. Stick with the basic, he said. Verse 10, this is the message again. He said, you've been a good apprentice to me. You've learned. You've been there. You're invested. You've walked with me. You've been faithful. A part of my teaching, my manner of life, direction, faith, steadfastness, love, patience, in troubles and in suffering. Could that, oh, that that would be said about us, that we are those kinds of people. That as others are pouring into us, that now we are pouring our life into others. And he goes, Timothy, you've, there's been suffering along with me. You've suffered with me. And all the grief I had to put up with in, a, in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. Because in Lystra, Timothy's hometown, they tried to kill him. That's where they stoned Paul and left him for dead. He would have seen, Timothy would have seen that. He's like, you know what I've been through. You've seen it. He goes, and you also know well that God has rescued me. That others need to see the suffering in our life. That we need to live lives of transparency. That when we walk through difficulty, we don't walk through it in isolation. But that we can see the suffering that occurs in our life. That God will redeem that for His glory and for His good. And so as the Lord rescues us from that, that others can see that. Wow, I saw what Jay went through. That was terrible. But look how God intervened in his life. And that there could be said of you in your life. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy. He goes, because anyone who, lives, who wants to live all out for Christ, anybody here want to live all out for Christ? He says, and we're in, if so, we're in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. Because there's unscrupulous con men willing to continue to exploit the faith. There's people that use religion for their own purposes and they, they, they discount it. They abuse it. And they're deceived as people they lead astray. And as long as they're out there, things are only going to get worse. Verse 14, he goes, but don't let that phase you, Timothy. Don't let what other people are doing phase you. Don't let what other people are doing or not doing, don't let it impact you, Timothy. Don't let it phase you. Stick with what you learned, what you believe, what you're convinced of. What you've learned, what you believe, what you're convinced of. Stick with those things, he's saying. Hang on to those things. Stick with the basics. And you know this, you're sure of it, because of the integrity of your teachers. Because of the lives of those that have poured into you. Why? Well, you took in the sacred Scriptures, as the message translates this, with your mother's milk. That from the very beginning, that your mother was pouring into you. I believe she was reading Scripture um, over Timothy. That as Timothy was young, she was teaching him to memorize Scripture. That it was becoming, a, just as milk was giving strength to his physical body, that the generation before him was pouring into Timothy to bring spiritual strength to his body. And so we should do the same with those generations around us. There's nothing like the written Word of God. Underline that. There's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the utmost, most important thing of salvation, of faith, through faith in Christ. He's not of our works, We can't boast. It's not what we've done. It's what Jesus has done and what we have received. 
And he tells us here that every part of Scripture is God-breathed. Every part of the Word of the Lord is from God Himself. It's not good ideas. There's people teaching today that it, good suggestions. That it's, good, it's a book that has good morals. It's historically, you know, culturally, it's irrelevant. Some parts of it for us today, they'll tell you. That, you know, you, you kind of have to kind of cut and paste it. Like you would a Word document for what's relevant for today. That is not true. That's false doctrine. All of this is God-breathed. Every single bit of it is useful one way or another in your life. That the Word of God, all of it, is from Him and it shows us truth. It shows us what's truth. And if you say it's not true, then you don't have a standard to have truth. So it shows us what truth is. It exposes our rebellion. I mean, we need our rebellion exposed. Before we come to Christ, and then as, as there's disobedience that would come up in our life, that we, we need to see that. And scripture shows, shows us that. It shows us how to correct our mistakes. It was one friend that I have said, it's like it's the Word of God is like, a, is like a father's hand on our back, right? That helps guide us. Have you ever guided your kids to an amusement park with your hand on their back? Like you can just help them navigate the crowd. That's what the Word of God does for us. It helps us navigate life. It shows us how to open pickle jars, right? We're getting pickles in life, right? And it shows us how to navigate, how to do life well. It trains us to live God's way. Through the Word, we're put together and we're shaped up for what God has done for us. The Word of God does it. It's basics, right? And so he says here, stay faithful, stay in the game, keep your eye on the ball, but stick with the basics. That's what he tells us. That's, that's Paul's letters to Timothy. So I have a video, and I'll, I'll end it, but I'll probably cut it short before it ends. But it's a video of a baseball player named Jim Abbott uh, who is, who's missing um, his, his right hand. And, and so this is a really fascinating uh, story. This just tells a little bit of it, but maybe, uh, maybe you'll be able to Google it and read a little bit more about it later. But if you guys would start this video, pull house lights down so we can see it, because it's old, it's old footage. But uh, I think you'll be encouraged by this video. It's the summer of 1985. A tranquil evening in Flint, Michigan. A 17-year-old boy is pursuing his dream. He wants to become a major league pitcher, but he's fighting the odds because he was born with no right hand. What he didn't know is that he was writing the opening chapter on a legendary career. This is 17-year-old high school pitcher Jim Abbott. He threw four no-hitters as a senior at Michigan's Flint Central High. He struck out 148 batters in 74 innings. His ERA was 0.76. But unlike most major league prospects, Jim was born without a right hand. To compensate, he shifts his glove over to his left hand so he's ready to field. For him, it's second nature. And have you turn this foot, right? If you, you should be able to balance yourself, right in the motion, just like this, and come home. If you were a young boy growing up in Flint, Michigan in the mid-80s, you dreamed of being able to pitch like Jim Abbott. If you were Jim Abbott, you dreamed of pitching at Michigan. He was so impressive to the coaching staff at Michigan that Jim Abbott was given the award of pitching their first spring training game. 
he had to prove himself all over again. But he was never consumed by trying to convince the skeptics. All Jim Abbott ever focused on was the fact that he was fulfilling his dream of pitching for Michigan. After winning 26 games at Michigan, he realized another dream. He was on the mound for the final out of the 1988 Seoul Olympics, leading Team USA to a gold medal. He also became the first baseball player ever to win the Sullivan Award as the nation's top amateur athlete. It's 1989. 21-year-old Jim Abbott goes straight from college to the major leagues. The California Angels made him the eighth player selected in the draft. He immediately answered all questions about his ability to field on the mound. Jim Abbott not only proved he could handle Major League hitters, but by 1991, he finished third in the Cy Young voting by winning 18 games for the Angels. But Jim Abbott's greatest moment would come in 1993. He's a member of the New York Yankees. And Jim Abbott pitches a no-hitter against the Cleveland Indians. The young man from Michigan would have his crowning moment as a major league pitcher. And the ground ball is short for Marty. He did it. He did it. No I grew up differently than other people. I was born with just my left hand. and uh, But really no, not much worse off. Uh, in fact, I've... Uh, I've come to learn that growing up the way I did is a blessing. In a lot of ways, has, has made me, what I feel, more complete. Um, Cormac McCarthy, one of my favorite authors who wrote the book, All the Pretty Horses, said in it that those who have endured some misfortune will always be set apart. But it is just that misfortune which is their gift and which is their strength. And I truly believe that. I believe that misfortune can be our gift and our strength. The challenging times, times when we have higher expectations and struggle, in the end, can make us stronger, better people. What I would do is, uh, and I developed with my dad just out in the front yard, I'd just catch it, take it off, and throw, and get ready for the ball to come back at me. I did a little faster without a sport coat. But I would just catch it and throw. Isn't that an inspiring story? But I think we can all identify with him in some way that, and I'll just bring it down for fathers today. Each one of us, I'd say there's something missing in our life. There's something broken. There's something that doesn't work right. For Jim, it was his hand. For others, there may be other handicaps, disabilities that we would have. That would limit us. And I wonder how many times he wanted to give up. He wanted to, to give in. But he never did. In spite of great, great difficulty. And so what God has called you to be and what God has called you to do in life, don't let brokenness, don't let whatever that the enemy would say, you can't do it because of whatever that of is, as he would say, God wants to use that very thing in your life to help others.